This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. You're listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Radio. Think Radio, listener-supported Think Radio. Hey, Carol, how are you? Hey, Mal, I'm good. Hey, it's the second day of summer. I know. The summer solstice uh, was last Saturday, so we know that we are now officially in the midst of summer and all of the abundance thereof. Farmer markets, truck patches, cottage gardens are all overflowing, and it's the perfect time to start pickling and preserving. And here we are today. We're going to talk about it. Yes, we are. We're going to talk about it with uh, one of the real experts who we're proud to claim is from Mississippi, uh, April McGregor. She went to North Carolina, moved to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but she's a Mississippi girl, so don't forget it. And today she's literally in Vardaman, Mississippi, at her parents' house, and we will talk to her live from the sweet potato capital of Mississippi, Vardaman, maybe the world. Yeah, well, they call themselves the sweet potato capital of the world. It's a self-proclaimed title, but yeah. I certainly go with that. Yeah, I'm I'm for it. We can uh, maybe we can get the legislature to pass uh, an initiative declaring it. So, well, anyway, last Friday here on MPB Think Radio, we had a one-day pledge drive, and Carol and I were not here uh, in order to participate in that. But this is your moment. If you are a supporter of MPB. Think Radio and Mississippi Public Broadcasting, you can join uh, the pledge drive at this time. All you have to do is visit the mpbonline.org site and click on the word giving, and you can become a contributor and part of the family that keeps public radio in Mississippi alive. Please join us. Well, Carol, I don't know about you, but it's been a busy weekend uh, at the White House. Uh, we got a bunch of blueberries uh, from the farmer's market. I bought butter beans, field peas, okra, uh, a bunch of Pontotoc County uh, pe- peaches, uh, caramade peach ice cream last night. And man, the tomatoes are coming in like nobody's business. And I think figs are about to become an issue as well. Oh, yeah. I, I check the fig tree um, out at the farm every morning when I walk, and I'm trying to beat the birds to the figs. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a, a day-to-day, minute-to-minute situation as to who gets there first. <laughs> so, so did you cook, or did you put up that stuff? or Yeah, tell me about it. Well, we, Kara, uh, uh, reduced the blueberries. We had so many, reduced them down uh to a blueberry confit, I guess you would call it, uh, a blueberry reduction. And we have that in the refrigerator, and it goes on top of cake and pie and certainly ice cream. Uh, I cooked the butter beans and the field peas. Uh, I just went ahead and cooked them all. Uh, my granddaughter, Wren, loves peas and beans, so we try to keep fresh ones uh, in the refrigerator. And I cooked them with, with onions and garlic and a, a few uh, uh, okra pods I throw in to kind of thicken uh, the pot liquor. And in terms of the peaches, those Pontotoc County peaches, you know, we, we ate them. I stood over the sink and ate them. We made ice cream with them. I put them on top of all sorts of dishes. Uh, and they were just delicious. I didn't put anything up. We just ate everything. 
Well, I, I saw a picture of your peas and beans and okra on our cooking and coping uh, website. That was yours, wasn't it? With everything yes. down in the pot. Boy, did you see how many comments you got on that? I yeah. Mean, it, was, it was fine looking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's amazing what we can uh, generate by throwing a, a bag of peas in a pot, throwing a few pods of okra and a little bit of an onion and some garlic on it and taking a photo of it and putting it on well, cooking it and was, coping. It was just so Malcolm to put all of those <laughs> things together. I mean, it was just it was just a beautiful thing. But, How do you uh, cook peas and beans? You cook them differently? Well, I've, I've not cooked. I mean, I'm I'm not that great a cook like you, but yeah, I cook them separately. I have my butter oh. beans in a pot. I have my peas in a pot. And I put up a whole bushel of butter beans this weekend. Okay. I know where to come in the midst of winter when I'm having a butter yeah. bean breakdown. Yeah, I'm going to work on uh, lady peas this week. And after getting ready for this show... I am I am just fired up about learning you know, more about pickling. Yeah, I don't know a lot about it. I make refrigerator pickles, and, and I just sort of taught myself how to do that. I can't wait to talk to April about that because she she knows how to do it. And, you know, I always say that cooking is an art. Baking is a science. Well, I also think that preserving and canning is a science. Uh, you can't really ad-lib uh, the way I do when I cook and get the right outcome uh, when you get serious about your preserving uh, and your pickling. But refrigerator pickles are easy. Uh, you know, you just get a container and cut up your cucumbers. I throw in onions and garlic. Uh, you know, I use vinegar and water. They, they make these pickling spices, which are available at all grocery stores. I rarely fool with that. I just throw whatever I have in there put a top on it, put them in the refrigerator and I give them a couple of days and I start eating them. And if they stay in there longer, they have more flavor. If they're in there shorter, they have less. Either way, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Well, I can't believe that you don't think you're doing actually actual pickling because that to me is an example of what we all need to be doing. Well, and there's so much stuff coming in. I mean, the squash and the cucumbers, the tomatoes are coming in. My little garden, which I planted late, um, is really uh, coming along good. Also in my garden, I planted some Creole tomatoes, uh, something that I've always sort of had a crush on. Uh, those tomatoes from down around South Louisiana and New Orleans. And, and I got a few plants um, from my friend Jesse around the corner here, who has a great urban garden in Belhaven. And he gave me five Creoles, so I'm really nursing them along. I'm hoping to get some Creole tomatoes this year. Are they a different shape, and do they have a different acidity from the ones we get around here? It's about the acidity. Um, they have a, a little bit different flavor. I'm, I can't really go into the, uh, you know, the math and science of it. I have always loved the way they taste. Uh, they have a little more pungent, powerful taste than, say, a better boy or sort of the tomatoes that we often see around here, like the Smith County tomatoes and the Smith County watermelons. But these Creoles are, are interesting and unique. My friend Estes loves to make a big old sweet, a uh, big old tomato pie out of these Creoles. So we'll yeah. see if I can grow them or not. You know, we have his recipe um, for that tomato pie, and I will 
send it to Java. We may have published it, uh, you know, last year or so, but I'll make sure I do that this afternoon. Well, Carol, what's an update on cooking and coping uh, on our website? I'd love to hear what's the well, line. I follow it every day, but it it's just it's I don't know what it's just blossoming and <laughs> boom and booming. And uh, I think last week I said we had close to eighteen hundred people. Now it's like eighteen sixty. So I mean, we continue to pick up the conversation and hear from different people. <laughs> we heard. Somebody that is in an island on an island off the coast of Japan this week. That was kind of unique. Wow. Uh, that one of their Japanese neighbors had, and it's a remote island, had given them uh, fish and posted a beautiful picture of just simple fish. Yeah, it's just all you have to do, just cook them in butter when you have fish that fresh and beautiful you just need to get out of the way right, but it, right. it's so it's so interesting to see who through friends or or whatever have picked this up so now we have people in japan we have uh taiwan and it's just it's moving all over the country and one of the interesting things to me is that all of everybody has produce coming in at different times so the people in the Pacific Northwest and in the Northeast, they have high tomato jealousy. <laughs> yeah, they're, t- they're tomato. Tomato envy. <laughs> it, is, it is major tomato envy. And then the people from the South have major salmon envy of the people ah, in Seattle, salmon, yes. uh, Washington. And uh, it's Copper River salmon. Mm. Uh, so we see pictures Every day of all these wonderful preparations, and you know they have morel mushrooms, and they're they're into something else because their maters aren't going to make it yet for no maybe no. months. That's right. So give our listeners, like I always ask you to do, the official entree into our Facebook site, so that they can not only listen to us every Monday here on MPB Think Radio, but they can also stay connected to our community uh, through Facebook. And it is on Facebook. The name of the site is Cooking and Coping, Gathering Around the Virtual Table. But everybody just calls it Cooking and Coping. And most of of what I'm cooking is coming off, off that site because people are doing so many interesting things. Yeah. You know that, like I never thought I could, I could do. And we have, you know, a bunch of people who I would say are rock stars, like uh, Tim Pierce up in Memphis. I think he's originally from Boonville. From Boonville, Mississippi. And Bob Bob Yarbrough in Virginia, who uh, has been on the show before and used to live in Jackson. But people kind of follow what they do, and it's it just given. Uh, a lot of grist for the mill, so to say. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Let's crank up the mill. All right, now it's time for our first break today. Uh, we will be talking pickling and preserving. Later in the show, we have Vardaman, Mississippi's own April McGregor, who will join the conversation and talk about her passion for pickling and preserving that she learned early on in the days 
being a farmer's daughter. When we come back, we'll talk about also the history of preserving. Carol's done a nice research on that. So stay tuned. You're tuned to Deep South Dining here on listener-supported MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. And oh, what a great time of year it is for fruits and vegetables and people who love them. Hello, Carol. Hello, Mal. What's up? Well, you know, life is good here in late June. Uh... As the uh, gardens begin to blossom and the fruits and vegetables begin to pour in, I believe we've got a caller we might start this segment with, a good friend who we hear from from time to time. We always appreciate her listening and calling. It's Sue from Beaumont. Good morning. How y'all doing today? Hey, hey Sue. How are you? I was going to make a couple comments. First of all, I love pickled squash. Do uh, you ever try to make that, it, that yellow squash? You, just like you would cucumbers. It's delicious. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to make it. <laughs> They're delicious. And also, Felder Rushing has said many times that if people would, you could start a garden like at the end of June and have another whole garden by fall. And I'm wondering why people don't plant another garden. Well, I, Sue, have planted that, that exact garden. I've just barely got it in the ground. Uh-huh. So we'll see. Now, Felder knows a lot. So I believe what Felder says. So I'm going to do exactly what you and Felder are telling me. <laughs> okay, well, thanks. Thank you, Sue. We appreciate you listening. We always appreciate your call. Sue from Beaumont talking about pickling yellow squash and not just cucumbers. Carol, share a little bit of the history of pickling and preserving, if you would. Well, I had some fun this weekend looking up stuff and going down the rabbit hole, so they say, uh, looking about canning and preserving. And, you know, of course, course preserving has been with us since the dawn of time. You know, that was mostly preserving meats. It was drying and smoking and, you know, fermenting. Right. But really, the start of modern canning and preserving uh, came in the 1700s from Napoleon Bonaparte and I found that really super interesting because he was trying to find a dependable way to feed the army so if you're going to conquer the world you got to feed you got to feed the army so uh (laughs) you know as a uh really smart guy would do he offered a cash prize to the person who could come up with the best way to preserve food. And it happened to be, I think it was a pastry chef. And um, his name was Nicholas Appert. And I'm glad that it has, has not been lost to history because he is the one that discovered the technique that really we still use today. You pack it, you heat it, and you seal it. Uh-huh. And uh, so, you know, that's been with us a long time, but it wasn't until the late 1850s when a guy named John L. Mason, the Mason jar, 
uh, you know, came up with the first reusable jar with the screw-on lid. And so really, you know, pick, uh, preserving uh, foods from your garden was very uh, abundant during the S Civil War, but it was only like uh, wealthy people that could afford jars. Um, and then there was a guy in 1915, Alexander Kerr of Kerr Jars, who, he was the one that invented the two-piece screw lid. And so uh -huh. that, that was another huge advance. And just, you know, the last thing I'm going to say, which I had I'd never really known before, is that during the Depression, the WPA, the Workers' Progress Administration, came with, up with a program to help feed people. And they, they put canning centers all over the country. And so people could actually come with their fruits and vegetables to the canning centers. And uh, there were people to help them actually preserve their food. Huh. And it was a wonderful job for women because it put a lot of women to work in the, in the canning centers. And um, during World War II, you know, we've all heard about Victory Gardens. Right. They, they expanded the canning centers. There were 3,600 canning centers across the country. Wow. And, you know, that, uh, that goes back to, that's a time when our, you know, grandmothers, grandmothers, and great-grandmothers uh, you know, learned to do it. And, you know, here we are today. So that's just a little history. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I appreciate your research there. You know, I have long said that it may be time to bring back the WPA. We keep going through these periods in our uh, history and our economy where, uh, there's this talk about the government providing jobs and stimulus and such. This would be a great time to revisit the WPA model. It works so magnificently. I don't understand why people haven't put these two things together. Well, the, Carol, the WPA gave us so many wonderful things like, you know, state parks and archives and uh, history and, and recordings of blues singers. I mean, it really spread people out in the country given us a lot of the the history we have today. Yeah, that, that was a period when lots of uh, <clears throat> public art was created. Uh, <clears throat> there were a lot of murals painted in post offices and in pub on public buildings. It was a fascinating time, and it worked magnificently, and it put people to work, and it built civic pride uh, in our country. Hey, you know what? Thinking about pickling and preserving, I remember Melissa Martin telling that story about growing up on the docks down in South Louisiana when they used to put the, the shrimp out on the docks to dry them. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. That was a fascinating story that, that she uh, recanted uh, about in her book, uh, The Mosquito Supper Club, uh, and her restaurant. I guess it's also by the same name. But anyway, we're going to have Melissa back on. and We'll explore a little bit more about that early, early uh, salting and preserving of shrimp before we figured out how to freeze them and refrigerate them. You know, until she said that, I had never connected uh, the fact that we did that in the United States. I mostly think of uh, drying and preserving fish. They still do a lot of that in, in Asia. And uh, who knew that we could be having dried shrimp here? I know. So before we uh, take a break and bring uh, April McGregor on, you want to go down sort of a, a list of things you need if you've never tried your hand at preserving before, just some tools and advice? Uh, sure. 
listen up, people. Grab a pencil and paper if you're going <laughs> to preserve. You need a pair of good tongs. And really, canning tongs are the best because they are wide and they hold the jars. You can get them at the grocery store. You need a wide mouth funnel. You need a bunch of measuring cups. And if you're going to be uh, canning, you need a jar lifter to lift the uh, jars out of the water bath that you put them in. And then you need a a big old pot, a non-reactive pot. Uh, You really need to have stainless steel or an enameled Dutch oven. A lot of foods interact with aluminum. So that's what you want to do. All right. So when we get April on, we'll dig into the details a little more thoroughly. But those are the basics. The tongs, the wide mouth funnel, a variety of measuring cups, a jar lifter, which people may or may not know about. If you don't understand, just Google or search jar lifter and then it will explain it. And ultimately, a big vessel. All right, we're going to take a, a break here. When we come back, we're going to welcome uh, April McGregor here. April is a native of Calhoun City and Vardaman, and she is a farmer's daughter, uh, a great friend of ours. Uh, used to work at Hallamow's, is always on cooking and coping, teaches classes online, uh, just a wonderful Mississippi success story, and an award-winning pickler. She'll be right with us as soon as we get back from the break, so stay tuned. MPB Think Radio's Deep South Dining, and we are jammed up and jelly tight. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett, and we're talking pickling, preserving, summer fruits and vegetables, and today we have an expert, a great friend of ours, calling us from Vardaman, Mississippi, the sweet potato capital of the world, April McGregor. Carol, do the intro. Good morning, April. How are you? I'm so glad to be with you, Carol and Malcolm. I'm doing doing just fine this morning. So you're home uh, this and mom and dad. Did did you drive from Pennsylvania? We did. We drove um, all the way down, um, mostly down in Highway 81, which is actually a, a pretty nice drive. It's not and wasn't a lot of traffic on the road, so we had a a nice. Well, I, I loved it when I called you yesterday and you were actually <laughs> making plum jam or plum preserves yes. as we were talking. Yes. yes. Yeah, my dad um, has a friend who has Pantries and he called them and uh, asked him if he wanted some, uh, some plums and he went over and picked them and then he said he went over and picked them again and he had got more than a five gallon bucket full and they my pa- my mom said that she was putting them in the freezer and just waiting until I came to deal with them <laughs> and that's what I did so for my dad's fa- part of his Father's Day gift I made about. Mm, Probably about 15 jars of, of plum 
preserves or plum jam yesterday, um, and it was really good. So we're excited. I love plums. Plums are my favorite, and they actually don't make every year, and they have some trouble with diseases and things, but I love a nice tart jam like that. It makes great, really great jelly, too, but I just... um, I was a little lazier than that and just made, um, we had so many, I didn't need the, um, I didn't need to do the whole jelly thing. So we just did preserves, which, which I like. Well, let me ask you this. Where did you first start, uh, pickling and preserving? It's, it sounds like you've kind of given us a hint. (laughs) Yes. So definitely in the community of, that I grew up in and in and around Golden Calhoun County. My dad actually grew up in the Poplar Springs community north of Vardaman, um, uh, uh, going near Bruce. And he um, grew up in this really tight agricultural community, and a lot of the people that he continues to sort of share to these days, to this day, um, are from that community. And so we have a pantry on our, uh, on our property, but we didn't have a fig tree, but my grandparents had a fig tree and then several of my dad's close friends had fig trees. And so, you know, people are just constantly talking by saying, can you want to fig? Or saying, like my dad's friends, do you want to come? Y'all want some plums? Come get them. You know, that sort of thing. So there was constantly this influx of, beautiful produce and and a lot of the women mostly fell on them to do the preserving of it and so my mom always made um my mom has a really strong sweet tooth and she loves sweet things so she loves pear preserves and fig preserves so she has always made those so those are the first preserves that i really saw made and then my grand and really all the women in my family had something that they were kind of known for Well, um, April, yesterday we talked a little bit about uh, pears, and I was asking you about uh, the hard pears. I know we have a a pear tree in, you know, out at the farm, and, you know, I never know when they're ripe to make preserves, and and you told me that that's, they're going to stay hard. How do we know when it's time to use the pears? Well, you definitely want to use them when they are firm because the style of the, the sort of old-fashioned style of the slow, open kettle, um, simmer pear preserves, you want you want your pears to be of size. You want them big, you know, if they're, yeah, as big as they're going to get. But you don't want them like these. You want them still kind of green. You don't want them starting to. Um, they once they start turning ripe, they they're yellow. So you still want them. We you know we laugh. We, we use them as tennis balls to throw play fetch with our dogs. So we <laughs> get a you know if you see the if you start to see the um, quarrels eating them, they're probably ready for you to preserve. What they know when they're. Um, when they're getting close to ripe, at least, they don't wait on them. But if they start getting yellow, you can't make the chips kind of um, slice pear preserves anymore. You're going to have to make something like pear butter because they're not going to hold up for making the preserves. So I wouldn't, we, we usually pick them in um, – I'm looking I'm, – I'm actually standing under our pear tree right now um, getting the best service that I can at my parents' rural – Calhoun County property, but the pears right now are about the size of a big ping pong ball. Now they don't 
they're not the same size every year they change. But usually they'll be at least baseball size before they're ready. Sometimes softball size, they get they can get really huge. But you don't want them to start turning yellow. You want them, um, you know, if you leave them on the tree, they'll start falling off by the time September at least rolls around, um, and they'll start to turn yellow. So we usually sometime around August or so, or, um, so pick them, and then you can just keep them in the refrigerator hard like that, and they'll stay and give you another month's worth of time at least to kind of get to them and preserve them. They really do keep well in the refrigerator. That is some great advice, and Malcolm, I want to personally invite you and Kara to come out to uh, Go Away Lodge in August, and we will have a pear fest and make pear preserves. Yes. I think Absolutely. it would be fun. Yeah, yeah, we could we could have the whole experience. We'll pickle we them, we'll pick them, put them up, yeah. and, and have a day. Yeah, of- and do it, and we're going to invite <laughs> Java and his wife, and we'll have some good music in the background, and we'll just yeah, have a, a pear, pear preserving and pickling. How about that? I'm in. That what about wonderful. you, Java? <laughs> <laughs> He's in. So what about figs, Carol? I know you've, you've had a lot of fun uh Doing fig preserves. You said you started that a year or so ago. Why don't uh, you, in April, talk about the, the, the fig preserving technology? Well, let me just start by saying <laughs> I never considered myself capable of making fig preserves. I've had some good fig preserves in my life, and it was just something I could not imagine myself doing. I remember walking through the grocery aisles when they used to have those big blocks of paraffin and you know people would put the paraffin in the jars and uh, you know and drop them down in the water and I just thought you know I'm I cannot do this but guess what I can not only do it but they're actually really really good and it doesn't take days in the kitchen it takes you know just a few hours and it's just some of the most fun that, that I've had in a while. But I'm, I'm very uh, eager to ask, you know, April some questions about that. Please. So, Please do. Well, is, do, do they grow figs where you're living now up in Pennsylvania? Because I think of it as a southern um, thing. Right. So we have figs um, in Philadelphia. Um so you, um, they're not exactly the same, exact same varieties, and you don't see as many of them. But certainly in the neighborhood where I am, I'm in, a, I'm in the city, but it's, um, uh, we have what's called twin houses, where it's two houses, these old, old stone houses, where there's two houses growing together. And a lot of people will have one growing up next to the house. Like it has to be next to the stone so that it stays um so that it stays um, warm, you know, the stone holds this passive solar heat so that it keeps it warm through the cold, colder winter nights. And a lot of people have to wrap them in the wintertime. So we definitely don't have them in the same quantities that you will see them in the south. But they, they will grow. And, and I got, when I, first thing I did when I moved is I actually have a friend who, um, raises fig, uh, fig trees for sale, and I, who lives in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and I, 
you know, called him and was like, okay, so I, now I moved to Philadelphia. What kind of goods do I have to plant so the still survive here? So I'm going to see. I know I have a neighbor who has one, and she definitely gets some goods off of her. So we'll see how um, productive they are. But, but it, I do think of it, too, for sure, fig preserves, because we have this plethora of them where you really have to do something with them to um, – you know, to preserve them. There's more, we produce more than we can possibly eat fresh, although I can't eat a lot of them. <laughs> well, April, we're going to take a quick break here. and we come back, we'll talk more about watermelon rind pickles, pickled okra, green tomato pickles, the difference between this pickle and that. I'm particularly interested in bread and butter pickles and your chow chow. And we'll talk about farmer's daughter and your business there. So we'll take a break, Carol and April and I will be right back uh, after this break. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. You're tuned to Deep South Dining here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett and our special guest today, April McGregor. Welcome back, ladies. Uh, hey, Thank Malcolm. You. Uh, I, I still have a couple more fig questions here. And April, when do you know that they're ready to pick? Do you wait till they're totally, uh, totally ripe or a little before? I like them what I call firm ripe. So what I look for is when the fig is growing on the bush, it will kind of be straight, the, the little stem that it has will kind of stick straight out and be really firm. And right when it starts to bend or droop just the tiniest amount for preserves, that's when I pick them. You don't want them splitting open on the back end and, you know, where you have all the, when they start attracting the bees and things like that, I try to get them before they split. And, you know, you have to be really careful with rain and those types of things. But that's what I look for. Okay, so is the stem still a little green when you pick them? Well, there are a lot of different colors of figs, so um, it is you. There is a color variation where you will notice it start it kind of sort of changing from green to brown. But you do definitely want, you know, um, you do definitely want a little bit of green left in there. You don't want it to where the fig has completely already turned to sort of sugar because you're going to be cooking those for a while on the stove and you want them to hold their shape while you turn them into preserves. Okay, one more question from me because I know Malcolm has a bunch. Have you ever heard of a process where you pick the figs and then you put water over them and keep them overnight or for a couple of days to plump them back up? Somebody mentioned this to me, and I had, I had never heard that before. Well, my figs are already plump. So what I do, um, and, um, and I definitely, now I have heard of some people putting a little baking soda water in their figs um, to sort of soften the skins and things, but 
I have never, I have never done that, and I don't think that's necessary. My mom always just, and what I do, the same thing. We layer them in the bottom of a really wide pot with sugar, and then we leave that out on the stove overnight. And the next morning, you will notice that the figs have given up a lot of their liquid and absorb, then sort of absorb that sugar liquid back into it. And then you will cook those really slowly until the syrup sort of starts to thicken. And that's how I do it. Well, that is a hot tip for sure. Mal. So, April, tell us a little bit about Farmer's Daughter, your business, and how that got started and sort of what is the current status of that? Well, I um, started Farmer's Daughter in 2007 and ran it through 2018. So I am currently not um, not selling preserves commercially, but I do um, still make lots of preserves. I say I'm in the informal um, economy these days. I trade lots of preserves. I give away lots of preserves, but I don't um, sell them anymore. Um, I and I teach some classes on preserving as well, um, and so that's that's where I am now. It, it was a wonderful experience, but. Um, it was uh, time for the next chapter. And, uh, go ahead, Carol. Okay. Well, you know, small batch preserving is something I keep hearing more and more about. And, you know, just like Malcolm's talking about just doing a few of his refrigerator pickles, is that yeah. something that's a trend and, uh, you know, just the average person does? Or what's the idea behind small batch? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I loved all those stories that you were telling about the community canners and things like that. I've read a lot about that and am very fascinated with that history. Um, but without community canners, canneries and, and, and sort of a shared work effort, preserving can be a daunting task. So in our home kitchens, the easiest thing to do, I feel like, is to just do a couple of jars of preserves or pickles or whatever it is. You know, I, I do fermentation by the pint or the quart. I do pickling by the pint or the quart where I literally will just make up a little brine, put my stuff right in the jars and, you know, pour the brine over it a few jars at a time and that's it, I'm done. And then I have pickles for a couple of weeks or a month or however. Same thing with preserves where I'll just make a few batches of time by just grabbing a couple extra pints of strawberries when I'm at the farmer's market. So you're just making this in a saucepan. You're not getting out the big stock of, you know, the big canning pots and stuff. That's I mean, this right. is just and something you're. Even... Go ahead. Yes, that's right. And I actually, one of the reasons that I started um, doing preserving this way is because I felt like people were less likely to try it if they had to first invest in new equipment before they got started. So I literally make. Um, a couple jars of strawberry jam in my largest um, skillet, like not cast iron skillet, but like a nonstick skillet or, you know, whatever, um, any kind of wide, shallow thing. You, you, it's, the old-timey method of making preserves, the most surface area that you can get is how you make the best preserves because you want them to, especially strawberry because they have a lot of water. You want to cook them fast and get the water off of them before before they um, sort of shift in color or brown at all. So that works super well. 
And then within, you know, 15 minutes, I've made much more delicious preserves or jams than you can buy at any store. And, you know, it didn't take me all day to do it. Now, April, obviously, when you're putting up fruits, you use a sugar-based solution or brine. And when you're putting up vegetables, and I'm I'm asking, you use a salt-based brine. Is that right? There are a very large variety of things that you can do with both fruits and vegetables, but that is generally true. I, um, when I'm making something like peach preserves or strawberry preserves, or you could, and we can, you know, or you could call it jam, there's really not that much difference. I use, generally, I just weigh my fruit, and so if I have three pounds of strawberries, I'm going to use a pound and a half of sugar. So that's my general method for doing that. And then I, like I said, with the figs, we'll let that sit overnight and then add some fresh lemon juice and then just cook it off. And that I don't use pectin or anything like that. If you do really tiny batches, you don't need to. For pickles, I'm going to use either a salt brine where I'm doing the sort of deli style, the sort of kosher dill style, and that will sit out for, for pickles about five days, and it will sour just by being weighted down underneath the salt brine, or you can do a ready-made brine, whether it's refrigerator pickles or putting it in a jar that is vinegar-based with a little salt. Okay, well, so if we go to the farmer's market, we have um, 10 pieces of squash uh, left over. Walk me through the process. What, What can I do with that before it goes bad? Well, if you have summer squash, like a yellow squash, I think of that as a very delicate vegetable. So what I would do with that is actually I would um, bring, I would slice it. I'd probably slice it if there were those little squash lengthwise into nice, pretty slices that have a beautiful shape. Put those in a um, pint jar. Then I would bring up a brine that is half vinegar, whatever vinegar I want, half water, with a little sugar in there to sweeten it and a little salt and whatever spices you like. I like mustard seed or celery seed, a little garlic if you like garlic, a little hot pepper if you like hot pepper. And then I would bring that to a boil, and I would actually let that cool all the way down. I would pour it over my raw squash in my jar. Then I would put the lid on it, put it in the refrigerator for a couple of days, and just have it as a refrigerator pickle. Ah, simple. Yeah. Sounds delicious. Yeah, and you do the same Gosh. with cucumbers or peppers or, or, okra. or yes. okra or really carrots or anything else, You right? can do that for anything, yes. Right. You can right. do that for anything. And I know Malcolm talked about refrigerator pickles a little bit already, but, yeah, you can definitely do that with anything. Squash, to me, is just sort of delicate. So unless I'm going to turn it into a relish or a pickle that has a lot of sugar so that it kind of helps it hold its integrity of shape, that's just how one of the ways that I would do for squash. Um, yeah, otherwise you can definitely use a hot brine or, or the, and then you can just water bath the whole thing. But when you do that, you really need to follow a recipe because acidity is really important when you go to can something. If you're putting in the refrigerator, food safety is not really an issue. So um, you can be a lot more creative in that instance. If you're going to can it, you need a recipe to make sure you have the correct acidity for your product. Um, April, we had a caller earlier who hung up. It was Kathleen from Osaka. 
but uh, she wanted to know about watermelon rind pickles, and I think that's kind of a good place to end because that is such a a southern uh, southern treat. So, is does that become a refrigerator pickle, or can we put those up to have later in the year? Yes. Okay. So. If I am going to go through the trouble of cutting up all the watermelon rind and peeling the green off of it, then I'm going to make a real deal southern style crisp limed um, watermelon pickle. And I don't mean lime the fruit. I mean lime the um, calcium um, powder that you put on um, vegetables or fruit to crisp them up. So a watermelon rind pickle is a multi-day process. You need to lime it first time overnight you put lime water on it then you have to rinse it a lot a lot of times then you are going to boil it until it's sort of translucent in a sugar vinegar spice syrup you want lots of cloves or ginger and things like that really give it what i think of as a holiday feel and then we'll put it into our jars water bath it to seal and then you want those to age for a little while on the shelf or um and then we usually think of watermelon rind pickles as particularly festive, have them with hams and, you know, things like that in the holidays. No wow. wonder they're so good, Mal. They're sounds like they're hard <laughs> to make. It's a process. <laughs> yeah. April, we've got just a few ticks of the clock left. Let's talk about chow chow as we go out. Just okay. chow chow us out of here. Okay. So um, do you have any particular questions or I'll just go? Just make make a, a verbal chow chow for us. Okay, got it. So when I make chow chow, one of the things that I think is really interesting about it is that it really kind of starts from sauerkraut, like a chopped relish that you salt, and then you wait a few days for the salt to kind of do its thing, and then we're going to drain all of that off, and then we're going to do the same thing where we have a sweet vinegar brine, which is vinegar, a little water, and sugar, and then your spices, mustard seed, mustard powder, turmeric, celery seed. And then you're going to cook all of that up until your liquid, until your syrup kind of thickens a little. And we'll jar it up, water bath it, and heat it with our beans and cornbread for the rest of the year. Wow. <laughs> that was beautiful. Well, thanks for joining us, April. We always appreciate you participating in cooking and coping, and we like to promote your cooking shows online, so keep that information coming. We want to have you on again. We never have enough time to cover everything we want to talk to you, April McGregor, about. <laughs> thanks a million. Good to hear from you. We'll see you soon. It's always fun. I appreciate Bye, your call, and I look forward to seeing you all again. Bye-bye. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Stink Radio. We are funded by the generous contributions of listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, co-host Carol Puckett and myself. We appreciate April McGregor joining us today. Now stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And every Monday you can join us at 9 o'clock in the morning for Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio.